And guys, welcome to another edition of Killinois with Bird and Cam. This is your boy Bird, and as always with me, Flo from Progressive. Oh, I mean, Cam. Cam, how are we doing, my dear? I'm good. I'm good. I just came home from selling furniture. Uh, you know, living the dream, living the life. Not actually, I don't actually sell car insurance. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's been good. It's been good. Yeah, so. and, and guys, have if you ever seen Cam, like like if you look at a picture of her, it's just so. I don't think we talked about this before, but she looks so like Flow from Progressive. It is scary. It's true. It is alarming. <laughs> God. Yet I have yet to be here for Halloween, so I'll try to get that, him this that, year. That's, that's what you and Adam gotta like. He's got he's got to be that new guy, like the guy on the commercials and shit. But like the guy that like nobody knows, but like yeah. he's like a main character. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Perfect. So um, uh, we're just back again from uh the last episode where we talked on part two from James Bird, and we also expounded on death penalty from uh, in Illinois and whether it should be reinstated and uh, any feedback from that well we did get some good feedback from a couple different people Mm -hmm. um especially um a very fond individual ourselves that we uh very much enjoy Mm -hmm. she's an avid um listener but I'll let you go into detail on her Mm -hmm. um but I, I push this whole opinion you know outward to family members and friends and their opinions honestly varied, you know, from yes, 100% eye for an eye, thumb for a thumb, you know, that whole shebang to all the way down to the issue behind all of this justice system doesn't have to do with the death penalty and some completely in depth, different conversations. Mm-hmm. So, um, definitely a lot of different opinions for sure. Uh-huh. And again, yes, shout out to uh, Deb, a uh, friend of the program, with such the, you know, really glowing uh, remarks on, you know, the episode. Team Debbie Land. I'm yeah. Team Debbie Land. <laughs> as am I, as am I, pal. But um, again, it's, I guess to go back on the last episode, it's just one of those things is that the death penalty in Illinois, just the death penalty in general, it's, again, we, you would think, again, in theory... It's so black and white, but we see all the time with these convictions that are getting vacated, and we're seeing all these men and women who are still in death row in some states, and they didn't even commit the crime. So it's just one of those things that, in a perfect world, if you had indisputable evidence that, you know, person A deserves without a shadow of a doubt that he deserves a death penalty, yeah. deserves a capital punishment, then I'll be it. But again, I think it's one of those things is that it's easier said than done. Exactly. And that's the ongoing issue we have today, especially too when people, you know, that are that try to view the justice system as black and white, they forget that although they're viewing it black and white, behind closed doors, they're doing some gray shit. So... You know, nobody's perfect. We don't follow all the laws. We don't, you know, I'm not saying we all are murderers by any means, but this is why it's so important to follow the right steps and the right guidelines for evidence and all that. Mm -hmm. So we can figure out who it is because the individuals who did kill James Bird, I fully believe, deserve the death penalty. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It goes without question on that end. 
Yeah, Ted Bundy, yes, you did deserve it. Um, I watched this one episode where this woman um, killed her husband, but there was constant reports of him abusing her. And she ended up just throwing like a statue at him to get him away from her when he was attacking her. And it, it honest to God, it hit him funny in the head and he died from it. And they, they all wanted her in jail, but there was so much evidence of him being so abusive to her Mm -hmm. that they found out she, it was, she was defending herself for protection. Mm. Um, which again is good evidence and police work to figure out, you know, what the story told. Got you. So, um, tonight we're going to have a very, uh, or today, depending on when you do listen to this, but we're going to have a really good episode. And this case is something that, uh, I vaguely remember when I was a kid and at the time it was unsolved and eventually did as we actually going to divvy it up to two parts because there's just a lot of information that we have to get to. But, uh, we're going to be talking about the Brown's chicken murder massacre, uh, and that occurred on January 8th, 1993 in Palatine, Illinois. And Palatine is like, uh, what, northwest suburbs, I think? Mm-hmm. Northwest suburbs, right by Schaumburg and um, uh, Hoffman Estates, all, all that area. Mm, mm. Yeah, and again, it was, it, it was just like, I remember, again, when I was like, what, seven or eight, when they would talk about it. And it was like, oh, it was still... They're still trying to look for the person. And I guess the thing, the thought of a mass murder at a restaurant, it's just... Especially at this time, is just... Yeah. I guess, yeah, that's the thing. We, and we talked about this episodes past, we live in a society, we live in, you know, this day and age where mass murders, murders, I should say, are just... They happen so many times, we get callous to it, we get used to it. But Yeah, we're so desensitized by this horrible, mm-hmm. horrific And I didn't say that word because I knew I was going to botch it, so there we go. Teamwork makes a dream work. But that said, you this was the first mass murder in Illinois since, I believe, Richard Speck, which you guys can find on the archives on SoundCloud and soon to be on our website. But yeah, when you have a murder to that scale... It just really shocks the public to its core. And what's crazy too, though, um, is like you were saying, is I was actually talking to a very close friend of mine who I also work with, and uh, she was she she mentioned that you don't see a lot of serial killers anymore, right. like Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, but you see a lot of mass shootings, and mm-hmm. that's almost like it's the new generation of serial killers, which is. Right. Terrifying, which is terrifying because I, it's literally, it could literally be any person. Right. And I think, I mean, with the exception of what we apparently have in Chicago with the strangulations that's happened in the last yes. 20 years or so. Because he's been under the radar because people are so worried about guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In a method. But like, yeah, this one was just very... I guess when we grew up and came of age and when we did the, the notes for this, it's just like, wow, to think that the crime that these victims uh, did, like they were, their only crime was being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And so many victims today are in that situation yeah. too. So before we uh, get on along this ride, uh, Cam, could you hit the good folks with a disclaimer? 
Absolutely. So, everybody, we're just here letting you guys know that everything that we report or we talk about is just information that we find through various news sources, such as police reports, news articles, internet sources, social media sources, and so on. Um, if for any reason anything in our statements are incorrect or seem false um, from the victim or even the convicted, please let us know. Best way to hit us up is at Killinois with Bird and Cam on Facebook. Um, also, too, this is a very, uh, you know, another graphic episode. So we do advise you to be over the age of 18. Um, and if you're ever in a situation, please call your local hotline crisis. Um you know, your safety is our number one um, concern. So, please don't get murdered. <laughs> damn straight on that. That said, you ready to do the damn thing? I'm ready to do the damn thing. All right. So, again, we start this story on January 8th, 1993, out in Palatine, which is, again, a northwestern residential suburb outside of Chicago, about a good 30 miles away. And um, Evelyn... Ergina and her daughter, uh, Jay Solis, were awaiting Evelyn's 17-year-old son, Rico Solis, who was to be on his way home from his part-time job at Brown's Chicken and Pasta. And that said, do you ever remember, do you, did you ever have Brown's Chicken before? I know we talked about this before we recorded, but I just don't yeah. remember. Like, I remember the ads when I was kidding. I remember the ads, and I swear to God, if I had it again, I'd been like, yes, this is the time. I, I like, feel like I remember the crispiness of it, mm-hmm. but it was so long ago. Like, the last time I had it was probably high school, maybe. Wow. Probably well over 10 years ago. Because yeah. it's like, and I was just doing a research, and I was like, back in 1993, there was like a good, what, 100 and thirty something restaurants out I in the Chicago area. Possible, they were yeah, and and it was it was owned by Frank Portillo. So when uh-huh. you have that of Portillo's fame, obviously. So when you have that machine behind you, it's going to do gangbusters. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, wow. So in a 2016 interview with Investigation Discovery, Jay Solis recounted her recollections of that night. It was a Friday. It was our movie night. Our brother usually came home at 10.30 p.m. exactly, but that night, he didn't come home. By 11 o'clock, we were calling Brown's Chicken. The phone just kept ringing. Now, there was immediate concern, as it wasn't in Rico's nature to ever be out this late. And he was described as being very close with his family. And uh, his sister would say, me and my brother really didn't have a lot of friends because we were new here. We immigrated from the Philippines to reunite with our mom. And she continued, after not hearing from the restaurant, Evelyn actually assumed that Rico was hanging out at home of a 16-year-old co-worker who was Michael C. Castro. And she figured they are just hanging out after they clocked out from work. But the only problem with that notion was, at the same time, Castro's father was also calling the restaurant, looking to find out where his son was. So about 2.30 a.m. the following Saturday, police arrived at the restaurant alongside Castro's father, which at that point had been closed since 9 p.m. However, they found that in clear view, Castro's jacket was visible on one of the chairs by the dining area. The police went around the back where they found that the door was open, and to the right of the police, they came across electric panels, which was later revealed that the power was cut off, and as they traveled, they came across the bloody map leading to the direction of the freezer. So from there, 
you can deduce that from the perspective of the responding officers, something is horribly wrong. There's a blood trail leading from the freezer, and when police open that freezer, it's just this indescribable, grisly scene. Five bodies lay dead in this tiny freezer, and just across from the kitchen, officers would find two more bodies in a walk-in cooler. And found were Solis and Castro. In addition to the restaurant owners, Richard E. Elfin, or El- Ellenfeld, 50, his wife, Lynn W. Ellenfeld, who is 49 of Arlington Heights, which is just the town over. If you've ever been to the horse race track, that's where it's at. Um, but fellow employees, Guadalupe Malandando, who is 46, uh, Thomas Menes, 32, and Marcus Nelson, who is 31. All of them were shot in the head with a 38 revolver. In the case of Michael Castro, he was actually shot six times, alongside being found with a stab wound. Who also had one was Lynn Ellenfeld, who also being found with a stab wound. Detectives actually started to assume they also had been standing um, in the walk-in freezer. Um which, which is horrific. I, I can't imagine what they're going through. And mm-hmm. to top it all off, the Ellenfelds had three daughters, and they purchased the store actually a year prior, 92. They would say it was a new start for the family, especially because they struggled for a couple of years following uh, Richard's layoff by Group W Associates, which was a supplier of cable programming. So, so one of the daughters, Joy, uh, the Ellenfelds daughters, uh, Joy, was also interviewed by Investigation Discovery. As she would recount, I ended up making a phone call to the restaurant, and someone did answer, but it was not my mom or dad. It was one of the police officers there. They just told me that something happened and I should come over. By the time I got there, the police tape was already up, and I found a police officer. And I went up to him, and I was upset and said, Look, that's my mother in there. And he looked at me and said, There's seven dead bodies inside. So, I mean... Try to try to be in her shoes if that's even a manageable camp. I would literally start screaming in his face. I don't know. I I don't know if that's a really good answer for someone who's looking for their parents. Yeah, I, I would, mean, oh, I would probably get violent. I'm not very good with my emotions when I get a little haywire. So, um, I would I would freak the fuck out. Yeah, like, it's just one of those things that, and again, she's, I, I can't imagine what, she's she's driving there, and she's like, okay, Expecting something to is, see your parents. Exactly. Because, like, okay. I mean, already when you have the police officer said, look, you need to come over here, we don't know if it's, she, she's probably hoping that, okay, if it's going to be a robbery, at worst, yeah. but they'd be probably shaken up, but okay, they'll be okay. But, I mean, to get that just like that, it's just, oh. And I've been in a situation where I was a boss of a pizza chain Marcos that was shot up twice while I was boss um so it's it's kind of terrifying because you get that phone call everybody's panicking all you know is that the cops are there bullets went off and you're and the these specific employees were there let's let's unpack that a little like you were actually there when somebody shot up... No, 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 my, my employees were. Like, oh, The oh. first time, it was Thanksgiving, and the, I think it was... I don't know if it was the second time or first time. I, the Thanksgiving, the guy had a place, 
Um, I think it was that time where two bullet rounds went off and they found the shells under the, uh, under our oven. And then the second time, same thing happened. It was actually the day I quit the, my last day at work. I was, I was done. It was like eight o'clock. We were having my going away party and they called me and they're like, the new, the new, um, boss refuses to pick up, refuses to come down. Like we need you down here. So I had to go down there and yeah, of course it's always the most innocent people that are working that day. Like the people who could not handle that. And I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. I would like, I wish, like, I wish I was there just so those people didn't, weren't traumatized. For the rest right. Of and I guess it's one but, of those things. It's like where the butterfly effect comes into play. Like what if you didn't quit? And what if it was just like a regular, you know, exactly. I was lucky twice, not once, twice. Oh, and, like, my ass is totally going to be the person's like, what, you going to shoot me? Like, what kind of man are you? And then I'm going to get shot. Mm. I'm going to be like, you can't kill me with your two hand, your two bare hands. You're, you're, you're a pussy. Yeah. And then I'm going to get shot or killed or something. And so oh, boy. I'm, I'm really training my mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so because I'm terrified. I, I always hope, like, I can outrun a knife, but I cannot outrun a bullet. Like, right. But anyways, so at the same time, yeah, back to the story. So at the same time, Evelyn Regina Rico Solis's mother had arrived at the same restaurant, which was now a crime scene. And she would say nearly 23 years later that I just wanted to see my son and I wanted to hug him and embrace him. And that's what I felt. I just wanted to hug and kiss him, but I can't go in there. And again, it's just so fucking heart wrenching. You know, even when I was watching it. Just to For see a mother their... to lose a child, too, is just unbearable. Mm-hmm. And in 1993, the Chicago Tribune article stated that employees spoke very highly of the Ellenfelds' generosity and how they always created such a positive atmosphere at the restaurant. They actually got the job done. Uh, Mike Nikita, who worked at the store until November of 92, said, It usually took us longer to close because they were still learning and didn't really know what they were doing, but they were nice people. Mike Jonas of Palatine, a sales representative whose clients included the Allen Belts, added, They were the kind of people who would take you over to their side booth, give you a Coke or a cup of coffee, and talk about their children or where they grew up. Another victim, uh, Malinado, was the cook who had returned to the northwest suburbs only a month after leaving his hometown in central Mexico. Uh, Malinado, 46, was married and the father of three young boys. He lived with his family in an area for five years previously and worked at a cook, as a cook at the Mount Prospect restaurant. Family members would say that Malinado started at Brown's uh, Chicken just several weeks ago. And he was really waiting for his old job to open up at Ye Old Town Inn in Mount Prospect. And the family, excuse me, the family was actually living with Malinado's younger brother, Pedro, in in a Palatine apartment complex. And all um, they could say is they couldn't believe it. Um, They continue to say that Juana Malinado, Guadalupe's Malinado's sister-in-law, would tell the Tribune at the time that he was such a good man and he's not someone that would deserve this. Hmm. And then we had Michael Castro, 
who lived with his family three blocks from Brown's and often walked to work in the summer. He was described by friends as a good student who was quiet but fun and who always looked after his friends. They would say, I knew Michael. I know his mother. They're a beautiful family. A neighbor of uh, a neighbor and friend for 10 years who said the family is an active member in the St. Teresa Catholic Church in Paladine. They'd say when someone needed help, Michael was right there. When my son was cut, Michael brought him to me and made sure he was looked after. And then there's Thomas Menace, who lived with his twin brother, Jerry, who was working at the restaurant for two months after being employed by a roofing company. According to Thomas's stepmother, um, sorry, according to his stepmother, my bad, and she would say that he liked to watch television, go bowling, and frequent the local pub to She would say that he was a quite kind of boy who really just kept himself. He just tried to do the best he could in life, and that's all we're trying to do. The final victim, Nelson, he was just a trainee manager. It was just really like a nightmare knowing I'd never see my son again. Diane Clayton, his mother, would say to Investigation Discovery, I just didn't want to believe it. And these slayings stunned other Browns employees who rushed to the restaurant at daybreak to learn which of their fellow workers had been killed. Casey Sander, a 17-year-old Browns employee, said she heard news of the shooting on the radio at about 7 a.m. She threw on her clothes and rode her bicycle to the store. And when she arrived, there was about five or six of her fellow workers there to embrace her. She just said they were really happy to see me. And it was such a strange feeling. They all thought I was dead, and I thought they were dead. And And I just want to bring that around to where we're at for school shootings now. That's mm-hmm. what goes through people's minds. Right. It's, so. you know, when, when that, that last sentence, when she said that, you know, they thought I was dead and I thought they were dead. Like that's really, um, you know, the thing that's that, a really deep statement. Yeah, and because again, who knows if they were, maybe they were, working that they should have they were going to work that night and then maybe they called off so it actually is like that's like the whole like i know so many people that were that had weird opportunities that they missed their 9-11 plane and they survived Mm -hmm. or like missed work in the trade centers and survived it's just it's weird that's the only time i can truly say there's a higher power that's got some some weird destiny over us right and it and would, just, mm-hmm. yeah. And it would be the same for Jason Georgie, a Palatine uh, resident who had been working at Browns at the time, and he was asking his supervisors for a Friday night off so he can spend it with friends at the bit basketball game, pitting Palatine High School against Fernand. Uh, was that where your mom worked? Friend. Yeah, it's that your mom worked, right? No, no, my mom worked at Palatine. Okay. Oh. is the end of where the individuals were. Got you. So, and as uh, Georgie would say um, to the Tribune, I felt terrible for whoever it was who took my place. If this was any other Friday night, that would be me there. And I guess that there before we kind of like, you know, and we try to add this last tidbit in from what Joy Ellen felt had said to this end about survivor's guilt. 
She had always said that I always felt some type of responsibility knowing that this was my parents' restaurant. And obviously none of them ever did anything wrong. So, I mean, you just have this immense guilt. And this is what you were talking about, like, with the 9-11 deal. And, like, some people, like, they would have a plane ticket, you know, to one of those uh, destinations. And at the last second, for whatever reason, like, something happened. And then somebody else took their place. And then, you know, fate intervened, what have you not. But, man, if I was in that situation... I know I would just, definitely have I just think there's just so many different webs to everything. And like I totally believe in like we're all connected within six degrees. And those are just prime examples of being connected in six degrees where that was supposed to be your job and look. Mm-hmm. You know, you got lucky. Right. And that said, I was keep you know I was alluding to like your mother was working there, like not at oh, Browns, yeah. but like at the high school uh, close there. So my mom actually, because we're you know I'm from the northwest suburbs, so I live probably 15 minutes from Palatine, and that's where I grew up. Not grew up, but like that's where my mom worked my whole life. Was she started in Palatine, then she went to Hoffman Estates, and during the time working at Palatine this is what happened. And I kind of asked her, you know, if she recalls it and she said, you know, of course she remembers it. And, you know, that she had a lot of feelings of being sad and remorseful, but, you know, she also stated that this is one of the first mass shootings that's really ever been, you know, public, like publicized and like mm-hmm. noted and just so media, you know, right frenzied and uh she's like so we didn't really know what to do you know this has never really happened in the suburbs this hasn't really happened here mm-hmm. um, and you know we i went into detail asking her about that and um you know she it, it just shows how much has changed nowadays where i guess students have shooting drill yeah. and and it's, there's actually proven statistics that show that those shooting drills that they do for kids, some kids get PTSD from it. That's how terrifying wow. it is. It's, it's not natural for someone to experience this and to be so used to it. She said it's like, at that time, they didn't have lockdowns. They didn't have, you know, school, like, threats or anything like that because mm-hmm. nobody ever thought that way. Nobody thought about bringing a, school, a gun in, and that happened, and then years later, Columbine happened, yeah. and then everything changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, just, it's a scary world. It's, it is. And again, as we said at the beginning of the episode, it's like, we live in the post-Columbine world where we've seen far too many of these mass shootings that it's just, I would say if it's a blip on the news, but it's like. It's, it's confusing because, again, that's something I asked mm-hmm. my mom about. Actually, I'm going to pull up her because she had a really good point, And this is something I've been wanting to get at. And I've stated a couple times, you know, I feel that technology has advanced so quickly. And our brain, our brain capacity just hasn't, you know, we haven't evolved with the amount that the technology has. And anyways, long story short, um, I was asking my mom, you know, just 
kind of what was her opinion, you know, on guns, on this whole, whole, sh- you know, shebang. She's a teacher, so she was a teacher. She taught BD, which is behavioral disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and what she, I and I just simply asked her. I go, you know, what what do you think are the best steps, or what's your standpoint or view of safety? And she just said. Forward or backward on safety is really not the issue. It's the amount of mental illness out there that is not being taken care of. And the fact that somewhere along the line, people started to believe that they could just shoot a bunch of people because their life wasn't going the way they wanted. And that just all falls in under, you know, the way kids were raised, our mental health not being addressed. And, you know, we're not all perfect humans. You know, our brains sometimes need help. And, it's we there's been a, a a spike in mental illnesses since tech the technology boom um yet we have not looked into those two factors so that's that's just my standpoint and yeah right so so the murders cause shock waves throughout not only the community but the state and even to a larger scale the country because in Illinois, you hadn't seen a mass murderer to this scale since perhaps, again, Richard Speck, which, again, you can find on the archives. Or John Wayne Gacy. Or John Wayne Gacy during his spray. And if, if you want to, you know, break it down to shootings, maybe since, what, uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, when yeah. it was seven people, ironically, seven people got killed here, as some seven people did. With the uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. But yeah. I've never made that connection before. Oh, man, such a fucking genius. But adding a vis- to the visibility of the murders, again, is that it took place at Brown's Chicken and Pasta, which, in 1993, was a pretty big fucking name in the Chicagoland area. And owned by, as we said before, Frank Portillo's of Portillo's. The restaurant had 115 stores by the time of the massacre. And half the stores were franchised and half were owned the company. And in a press conference Frank Portello had released the day after uh, the murders, myself and everyone at the Browns organization extended our deepest sympathy to the victims of this tragedy. We are a close-knit family and we feel all this loss. So, I mean, this, this touched a lot of people. It's mm-hmm. honestly the first, I don't know how to explain it. It's the first crazy massacre to happen in an area that doesn't right. have violence. Mm-hmm. Um, the the suburbs of Chicago are, are really they're, they're the definition of raising your children. Um, you know, the, the perfect grass, the white picket fence, 2.5 kids. It's it really is the definition of safety, and so it's it just shocked everybody. And Sam Vignolo, who is actually the owner of a brown store in the neighboring town Rolling Meadows, the chain tells its franchise owners to vary the times they deposit money or remove money from their safes to deter robberies. Vignola said uh, robberies have not been a problem for the chain. He called the Palatine franchise a very high volume store. And then it was in the top 10% of stores in the area. So that's just so, adding to what you were saying about how that area was just really crime, I won't say crime free, but like. It was still growing. Like it was still a new area. Mm-hmm. So like 
there really wasn't, you knew your neighbor, you kept your doors unlocked. Right. And two, the only people that know how high volume your store is are really the people behind the closed doors. So that's another thing that I kind of noticed that, okay, this is a very high volume store and it was hit, which means something. Well, I think what it means from like high volume is like, well, is it like you, how many people go in and out? Oh, how much money they got make. you, got you. So that's a good connection because employees would know that. Mm-hmm. Employees would know how busy you are. Employees would take into mm. consideration how much money you make. So that's a good little note, you know, for us. But anyways, I'm getting off track. So anyways, um, in addition, Vignola actually said that the Ellen folks, though new to the restaurant business, were careful very, very careful about the way they ran their store. And they were always concerned about the safety of their employees. Vignola actually said that the Ellen Belts often would drive workers home after their shifts. I don't know, that's something like this could be prevented, whatever you did, Vignola said in the Chicago Tribune. It just doesn't make any sense. Fred Brown, a son of the chain's founder, who's actually no longer connected to the corporation, appeared at the Palatine plant police station that Saturday afternoon hoping to offer any help to the victims' families. It's like Vietnam all over again, said Brown, who actually was a Vietnam veteran who owns four Chicago area Brown stores. So for a Vietnam veteran to say that Crazy, right? Is a a lot. I, I, I know a couple of Vietnam Green Beret veterans that they joke about being shot, but they refuse to ever mm-hmm. tell the story of how they got shot. Right. But I mean, again, when talk- seven people get wiped out just like that. Exactly. It's not a war people like to talk about because of how, horif- how horrific it is. Mm-hmm. So knowing that this was just as horrific is terrifying. Yeah. And, um, but anyways, um, Brown goes into talking about how this really gets him in his gut and that he's so sorry. And at the time, Palatine's mayor, Rita Mullins, said that the murders would add another level of fear to the standard concerns that parents have about letting their kids out of their sight. She said her own children had worked two or three doors down at one time. Most families have a child or a relative working in fast food. But for the grace of God, it may have been one of my children. And again, people don't take it into consideration until it happens to them or in their backyard. So this investigation kicks off right away. And from the jump, police know they're fighting an uphill battle. There was no witnesses. There was no motive. And the handprints collected at the restaurant could have been from anyone. So this is a restaurant that sees in the ballpark of thousands of customers walking in and out from a few day period, if not a busy day period. Mm. Police actually found receipts that showed a four-piece meal being ordered at around closing time, which, interestingly enough, while all the garbage containers were found clean, only one was filled up, which is showing part, which showed a partially eaten chicken. Now, just hold on to that tidbit of information, and we'll get back to that story later on. I, I still don't get how you're going to pay for some chicken. And it's probably the black black man talking to me, but how are you gonna buy some chicken and don't even eat all the whole fucking thing? Right? I was like one bite of chicken, like That's you're coming in you don't come in late at night for one bite of chicken. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the prices were in nineteen ninety three, but like come on. 
compared to prices now, I bet you they were pretty good. Oh, boy. Adjusted for inflation. Oh, boy. The employees actually tell police that there was a safe that sometimes contained as much as three grand, which was actually visible to customers and located near a rear door that was always left open. And surprised to no one, the money was gone. So, surprise, somebody knew it was all in there. So, maybe they think that perhaps there was a disgruntled worker who knew where the money was, and in a greedy and violent rage, had the means and motive to rob and silence any potential witnesses. So, enter 23-year-old Martin Blake, a former Browns employee. Blake was recently fired a week before the murders, and according to rumor and innuendo, Richard Ellenfeld was seen engaged in a contentious argument with Blake during the firing, and added to the intrigue was two observations. One, according to detectives, Blake owned a gun, and friends of Blake said that in his haste, he was heard firing his gun in his restaurant residence during the same timeline that this happened. And two, that Blake's ex-girlfriend, a relationship that didn't end on the best terms, to say the least, was the brother of Michael Castro, and seeing that Ellenfeld's wife and Castro received the harshest of treatment among the victims. It added credence that Blake may have been involved in the killings. Now, police arrest Blake not even a day after the murders. And from the onset, it appears that Palatine police have their man, especially when a witness would come forward and say that she approached the restaurant on the night of the murders, only to be turned down by a man matching Blake's description. However, just as quickly as it appeared that Blake was the culprit, things took a sharp left turn. Now, upon watching the news, the witness who originally identified the description close to Blake had revealed that she made a mistake and that it was Rico Solis instead who was at the door. And when the woman went into the police lineup to ID Blake, she couldn't recognize his face. So furthermore, the gun that belonged to Blake was later to be able to review a twenty-two which couldn't add up because the bullets found in the crime scene was the aforementioned 38 revolver. So, Cam, police are obviously upset. And by this point, you got about hundreds of officers working this. But think of the families of the victims for a second. You have this traumatic event where you lose your loved ones in an act of senseless violence. And then, while that void will never be filled... At least there's some solace in the fact that the perpetrator responsible is going to face atonement for it in a rather quick time frame. But just as fast as you get that consolation, that gets snuffed out. I mean, that's just so gut-wrenching to say the least. What what say you? And two, yeah. And, and the worst part is, at this time, most of these family members are very vulnerable. And they're going to take any type of bait they can to find answers for their loved ones that were killed senselessly. And so I just, I feel terrible for the family members. Mm -hmm. And only a week later, police get a tip from a man named Ronaldo, excuse me, Ronaldo Avilas, who after being bagged in in for armed robbery in Chicago, he tells police that an associate, Jose Cruz, was actually breaking through a phone call that he committed the Browns restaurant murders. And Palatine detectives are promptly on the move. They question Avilas, and he tells them that Cruz carries a thirty-eight Smith & Wesson, which happened to be the murder weapon. 
Avila said that the phone call was actually made through the phone booth, but it was later found by detectives that that particular phone booth didn't make any calls. What made matters worse, police finally caught up with Cruz. And although he did carry a thirty-eight, he had no knowledge of the murders. And eventually, through evidence, he was also ruled out as a suspect. So it was just one of those things we assume that from a VLS aspect, I got arrested for armed robbery. So let me get, give the police something to soften the deal. Mm-hmm. What a better way to do this than to give them information on the most newsworthy, cringy crime going on right now, even if I'm lying. But yeah, that's... Look, again, and this all happens because that happened within, what, weeks, right? So yeah, it's like they're having they're they're having joy with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, again, let's just go from the family's perspective. You you have this murder, and then you think they're gonna find they found this guy, and they don't. And then a week later, you think, okay, it's gonna be a break in the case, and then you're back to square one. Right. I it's can't. Terrible. I can't imagine the frustration. I can't imagine. I would honestly just lose my shit because mm-hmm. I would not normally. I would just be so emotionally angry at the world that I don't I don't think I'd be able to do it. Yeah. So I wouldn't be okay. So on a cold winter night in nineteen ninety three, you have seven victims all shot to death. Two after they got shot were stabbed just to I mean, don't know what the rhyme or reason with that is. But again, you have no witnesses. You have no motive. And yes, you have a partially eaten chicken, but mind you, this is 1993. This is right before, and I mean, on the coming crisp of DNA. And that's something we're going to end it for here. And part two, we're going to talk a lot more about DNA in that chicken bone that is going to come up huge. So, uh. Um, goddamn chicken bone. That said, um, you got any thoughts so far as we it talk just- about that? Growing up, and the fact, too, that I grew up in this area, well, yeah. one, it's, it shows how sheltered I was. Like, shout out to my parents for doing such a good job because, like, mm-hmm. I, I, we never locked our doors. We never worried about, you know, people breaking in. And it just blows my mind that something like this happened in 1993, and it's been, what, almost... 30 years and something like this is still going on right but more frequently and commonly and you would think with all of this craziness that something would have changed a little bit mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think it's just one of those things is that you know people like the fact that your mom was able just to give so so much vivid recollections of you know what she was doing then and how she reacted afterwards. It's something that sticks with people who are around there for the rest of their lives, it seems. Exactly. And it's and it's crazy that, you know, go pick your parents' brains, you guys, because when we have kids, they're going to ask us, where were we on 9-11? What were we doing? And you're going to have the most boldest, fondest memory right. of that. And if my kids ever find out I sat next to a murderer in class, let me fucking tell you. I have the most boldest, vivid memory of when we found out she was mur- she was a murderer. Oh, boy. All right. So, like, <laughs> you know, it's it's not 
you know, it's very animalistic to kill one another, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the primal instinct, you know, for survival, for, you know, being the alpha male, but our brains are evolved past the animalistic terms. There's no reason for us to just be senselessly killing people and taking their lives because... You know, I, I don't know the end of, I, we can't tell you the end of the story yet, so. Mm-hmm. Which means I that you'll probably have so to get much. back in a couple of days, because, again, we will probably push this out, if not Monday night, then first thing Tuesday, and then we're going to be recording Wednesday night, and we'll push that not out first. for Thursday. So, again, um, hold tight with us if you guys are listening uh, in real time. Uh, we will be back very shortly to wrap this one up, but yeah, this is just, again, it's a really, really fascinating case. Remember, remember again, as a kid and being so mystified, even before they cracked the case. And then when, as part two, not trying to, to spoil things, the, the rationale and the motive, it was just like, you know, it's something to me that presented more questions then answers yeah it's was this person screwed up in the head or was this person somebody who's trying to make a point there are so many questions exactly so um cam they can find you on ig with instacam 630 they can find you on the twitter on i like stuff 630 and they can find you on facebook on cam E period Rin. On Facebook Cam. Oh, that's right. Took me a second. So and they can find Birdman, who's now Alex Camp again. He might come back as Birdman. We'll see. No, I got like um, sixty days before they can wait, change. Wait, you changed did you change your you changed something on Twitter because it's now like a new like No, it's Birdman for America. No, no, but it like says something now when you like retweet something, it's not like you just changed like your bio or something. Oh no, it's the um it's the world friendzo champion. Yes, that's what it is now. I saw that. So yeah, if you can't find him under Birdman four, which is the number four America, you can find Friendzone Champion, he'll show up. Um <laughs> <laughs> So also um uh, you can find him on the Book of Face at Alex Camp. So Trust me, you'll know what picture he is when you see it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. Did I say? And then, oh, 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 and Insta, Insta. Um, bird underscore your underscore enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. girl. So, again. I was like, I'm forgetting one. Hmm? I was like, I gotta be, I was forgetting one. No, yeah, you got it. Right on the money. Right on the money. Yeah. We on this shit. So, again, we will be back uh, again Wednesday or Thursday, but again, guys, thank you so much. Um, without your support or without you listening, none of this would be possible. Again, thank you so much. You guys are the best, seriously. Exactly, and again, or you can uh, hit us up on our joint Facebook and Instagram pages, Killinois with Bird and Cam, and Killinois Podcast, respectively. And if you got yeah. any murderers or murderers, uh, if you got any cases, if you got any ideas, feedback, compliments, criticisms, please hit us up. Let uh, us know. Hurt our feelings. We want to do better. Yeah. Except you, Edwin, if you're listening. Fuck you, Edwin. Yeah. <laughs>
Just kidding. And, I love you, but don't hurt my feelings, Edwin. But not you, Mackle. Yeah, fuck you. But that said, <laughs> we will be back uh, next time, sooner rather than later. So again, for Cam, this is Bird signing up. This is Killinois. Be killed. Be, there or be killed, bitches. Oh. <laughs>